Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's one of those jingles that is uh, almost impossible to forget. You see, the year is uh, 1965. Uh, a young Ally McGraw is strolling down the beach, and uh, Barry Manilow is singing in the background, Meet the Swinger, the Polaroid Swinger. And uh, if that doesn't do it for you, uh, then I bet uh, the catchy chorus probably will. It's more than a camera. It's almost alive. It's only $19.95. Uh, you see, with marketing like this, uh, it's a little wonder that this camera goes on to become one of the uh, best-selling cameras in American history. And not only that, uh, revolutionizes the photography industry in general. Uh, because ordinary people, people like you and me, uh, can take these beautiful, stunning pictures, and we can do it in just a matter of seconds. And yet it may surprise you to learn uh, that none of this would have been possible, the Polaroid Instant Camera or other cameras like it, uh, if it were not for a young girl 20 years earlier who looks up at her dad and asks a very important question. Why? See, it all started on a, uh, a sunny December day. That's how Edwin Land, the co-founder of the Polaroid Corporation, describes it. We were enjoying a family vacation in Santa Fe, New Mexico. It was well-earned, and you can probably picture the scene all around him. The sun is just beginning to set off in the distance. Uh, a light dusting of snow uh, is resting on the rugged, rocky landscape, and his three-year-old daughter is dancing in the foreground. It's one of those moments that just begs for a picture. So Edwin Land, uh, this 34-year-old father of two, whips out his spiffy Roloflex camera. And if, if you'd never heard of these before, they're about four inches tall, uh, six inches wide, uh, a little under three pounds, and they got twin lenses, adjustable focus. And if you look down into the body of this camera, you can actually preview the picture that you're about to see. And so he, he lines up the shot, and he takes one photo after another after another, and eventually his daughter looks up at him and says, Daddy, show me the pictures. Now, if you're Edwin Land, uh, the thing that you know but aren't really sure how to express is that it is going to be a while before your daughter sees these pictures. I mean, you gotta unload the film, you gotta go to the pharmacy, you gotta have it developed, and then there's this bunch of waiting. And so you look down at your daughter and you say, honey, it's going to be a while. And she looks back up at you and says, why? Why? See, questions like this uh, are easy to dismiss. They're easy to dismiss even when they've got the power to transform our lives or the way that we see the world all around us. I mean, if, uh, if Edwin Land's little girl never asked the question why, do we ever get uh, the Polaroid instant camera? Do we ever get all the things that come after that? You know, it's because uh, questions like this are so easily dismissed that so often the simplest option, the safest option, the easiest option, is not to ask them. 
You maybe have been there before, uh, at home, at work, at a party, someone says something, and maybe they're not completely cure, or maybe, uh, maybe you're just curious, and so it creates this question, and yet somehow, more often than not, uh, whether it's the fear of embarrassment or discomfort, uh, you fail to ask it. And I don't know about you, uh, but of all the places in my life that I have questions like this, Uh, the place that I have the questions the most are in my relationship with Jesus. I got all sorts of questions. Questions I'm afraid to ask, questions I'm embarrassed to ask, and questions because I'm simply a curious guy. I think that's why today's reading is uh, just so important, because in it, Jesus invites us to ask these kinds of questions. He invites us to come like little children. He invites us to hear his word of promise. He invites us to believe uh, that there is nothing in this world, not even the questions we might ask, that will ever come between us. Nice, he brings us uh, to today's reading from Mark chapter 9. And uh, while it might seem like business as usual, I mean, the disciples are traveling from one place to another, Well, it might seem like business as usual. What happens in today's reading, what happens in passing, uh, ends up being really significant. You see, as the curtain rises on today's reading, uh, the disciples find themselves trying to make sense of these two uh, very incredible experiences. See, it all starts uh, earlier in the day when Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a high mountain to pray. And Maybe you remember uh, what happens up there. Jesus is transfigured before them. The clouds part, the Spirit descends, the voice of the Father says, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to them. Time passes, a couple of minutes, uh, maybe an hour or two, we're not really sure, but eventually uh, Jesus and those three disciples, they come down the mountain, and when they do, they witness the second very incredible experience, uh, an experience that we learned about last week. There's this young boy, he's got an impure spirit, and, and no one can help him, but Jesus helps him. You see, it's uh, these two incredible experiences that create all sorts of questions when Jesus goes on in the following passage to make this statement. The Son of Man, he says, is going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed over, delivered to his enemies, and they are going to put him to death. For just a moment, I want you to set aside the fact uh, that Jesus is talking about himself in the third person and imagine yourself in their shoes. I mean, can you imagine? Jesus, uh, Jesus has just gone up this high mountain. The creator of the universe has torn open the heavens, told you that Jesus is his one and only son, and then Jesus comes down the mountain. Jesus casts out an impure spirit, uh, the spirit that no one else can cast out, and then Jesus says that he is going to die. What do you mean they're going to put you to death? I mean, you're, you're Jesus. That's, that's not supposed to happen. And, and then that word pops out at you, betrayed. Not caught, not trapped, not discovered by someone else, but betrayed. And that's something that only someone close can do. And, and so you look around and you begin to ask yourself, I wonder who's going to do it. 
You know, that's not the only thought uh, that runs through your mind. Uh, but the more you begin to wonder, the more reluctant you get. I mean, do I really want to know who's going to be betraying Jesus? And it's not me, right? I mean, I wouldn't do something like that. And, and if he is going to be put to death, do I really want to follow him? See, sometimes uh, the simplest option, the safest option, the easiest thing to do is nothing at all. <laughs> or like the disciples do, and get in a fight with each other. See, I think uh, that's why today's reading is just so significant. I think it explains what happens next. Jesus invites a little child, a child who isn't afraid to ask these kind of questions into his midst. And I think it's Jesus' way of saying that this relationship, our relationship, is the kind of relationship where you can come to me like this. And one of my favorite moments as a, as a teacher is the moment uh, when someone looks up at me and says, I think I've got more questions now than when we got started. Uh, several years ago, I was uh, teaching a class on tough questions. Uh, tough questions uh, that people ask Christians about the Christian faith. Questions like, uh, why does God allow suffering in the world? Or, or why does God answer some prayers and not others? Or, or why? Why do I, or, or why should others belong to and, and attend a church? Every time we gathered, uh, we would talk about these questions, and the conversation always seemed to end with someone saying, I think I've got more questions now uh, than when we got started. You, maybe you've been there before. Uh, maybe you've asked a question, dug uh, a little deeper in your faith, only to discover that, that whatever you were learning about is uh, way more complicated, way deeper than you first imagined. What I want to suggest today is uh, that while this creates a sense of tension, uh, a sense of discomfort because there is stuff that we want to know, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a right thing. It's an important thing. And when it comes to your faith, these kinds of questions are a sign that you are growing closer to Jesus. You know, I love the way that a, a college professor likes to, uh, to illustrate this concept. You see, she was uh, teaching a class, and someone asked her one of those questions. It led to uh, almost an hour's worth of conversation. And as that conversation came to a close, uh, the student who started the conversation ended it by saying, I think I've got more questions now than when we got started. So the professor uh, offered the following illustration. She said uh, to her whole class, I want you to take out a sheet of paper. I want you to take out a sheet of paper and I want you to, to write down everything that you knew about this topic an hour ago. So the students in her class, they take out a sheet of paper and they write down everything that they knew. Uh, and a few minutes later, the professor says to the students in her class, she says, all right, now I want you to take a crayon or a marker or a pencil, and I want you to draw a circle around everything you wrote, everything you knew an hour ago. So the students, they draw a circle uh, around all those words, and the professor says, that circle represents the boundary between what you knew an hour ago about this topic and what you didn't know. 
And, and it represents the kind of place where you know just enough about what you don't know, about the stuff on the other side of that line, that you're able to ask some really good questions. So the students sat there and they, they thought about this for a moment. Eventually, someone raises their hand and, uh, and then the teacher answers the question and then she asks another one. She says, uh, what happens when you learn more things about this topic? Students sit there again uh, and they ponder this and eventually someone raises their hand and says, well, when you know more things about a topic, you put more words inside of the circle and so the line between what you know and don't know gets bigger. Professor's eyes light up. She says, exactly. Uh, because when you know more about something, the boundary between what you don't know and do know does get bigger. And that's why you have more questions now than when we got started. That's probably a corny illustration, uh, but I think it does a really good job of pointing out how our faith works that the more you know, the deeper you dig, uh, the closer you get, the more questions that you're gonna have for Jesus. Like I've already said, uh, I wanna suggest that this is a good thing, a right thing, an important thing, and yet the temptation we face, the way that sin and Satan and our world try to drive a wedge between us and Jesus is by convincing us that the opposite is true. That our questions represent a problem, and that problem is either with us or with Jesus. You see, sometimes uh, you're tempted to believe uh, that your questions represent a problem or something wrong with you, that you have them because you missed out on something, that you weren't paying attention, that you started too late, that you're not smart enough to understand. But when that's the case, you are tempted to believe that there is something wrong with you, and it makes it really hard to trust Jesus. Because you see, you've either got to uh, hide who you really are, deny the fact that Jesus wants you to be honest, that, that he isn't just interested in the person you're pretending to be, but that he actually wants you exactly as you are. You either have to hide yourself or you have to work really hard to get all the answers. But if the Christian faith is just about having all the answers, then where is the room or the place for faith? Where is the room or the faith or the place for trusting in things that you cannot see? See, sometimes we are tempted to believe that there's something wrong with us. Other times we're tempted to believe that there is something wrong with Jesus or with our faith. Uh, and that we didn't have all the right answers because Jesus didn't have all the right answers. That the thing we trust, the thing that we shape our life around just isn't true. And this, this is why Jesus comes. This is why Jesus performs signs and miracles and wonders, and this is why Jesus doesn't just die on a cross to forgive your sins. Jesus rises from an empty tomb three days later so that you can believe that what he says is really true, that when you don't have all the answers, you can point at that tomb and say, I trust in him. I trust the one who lived and walked and was among us. I trust the one who defeated death. I trust the one who came out of that tomb even when I don't have all the answers. See, our questions uh, don't represent a problem. 
something that's wrong with us or something wrong with Jesus. Our, our questions represent an opportunity. And that opportunity is to trust and to follow Jesus. You see, this is why we do what we do at Messiah. And it's why we gather in this place on a Sunday morning, because we believe. We believe that only through wrestling with questions like these, leaning in and embracing these kinds of questions, that we ever grow closer to Jesus. You know, as we uh, come to a close, it seems fitting uh, that I would leave you with a question. This question is this. How do you think the disciples' story would have been different if they were willing to ask Jesus their questions. I mean, picture that day. Uh, what kind of conversation might they have had? What sort of relationship might have developed? And not just with Jesus, but with the other disciples, the people all around them. And then ask this question, uh, how might your story be different if you were encouraged or invited to bring your questions to Jesus. You know, while you might not get all the answers that you're looking for, I'd be willing to bet uh, that it will have an impact, and I'd also be willing to bet uh, that it will probably only draw you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so my hope and prayer for you on a day like today is that God would bless you as you continue to bring your questions to him, like a child. And the promise that Jesus makes is the promise that says that there is nothing in this world, not even your questions, that can come between us. Amen.